Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we kick off a new week, kind of put the wraps on July this week. Hope you had a good weekend. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. Plenty to talk about today. Weather, some cooler weather, some wetter weather, some much-needed precipitation in some areas. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Today, start sign up for those market facilitation program payments. We'll talk with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey about that. And we'll get some analysis of uh, those payments and uh, the way it's been set up this time with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. But we're going to start things off, look at the news with Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good. Lots to talk about. Uh, of course, uh, sign up starting today for those uh, market facilitation program payments. What kind of reaction are you hearing to uh, the way it's been set up this time? Well, Mike, uh, obviously there's been a lot of interest. Our website was going off the charts with a map that we produced that shows the payment rates for every county in the U.S., and it's very clear that the cotton growers and the sorghum growers should be a lot happier than they were last time around and maybe a lot happier than people in neighboring counties. And I think that's always where this comes down to, the level of satisfaction with these payments. You know, we understand that everybody's going to get at least $15 as a minimum, but some payments are up to 150 And if you look at our site, you can see how... It's heavily favored to a lot of people in the South. So um, it is an improvement for corn growers, what they had over the last time. You know, that penny a bushel, this county rate seems to have uh, made some of those folks a lot happier. But uh, I think it's going to come down to when people get their first check, which they can sign up for, as you mentioned today, they can get the first 50%. And then in some cases, they're going to be able to do hopefully a uh, a lot better when the second and third rounds of those payments come out. One of the questions that has been raised, I think an interesting one, and I'm going to ask Bill Northey about it a little bit later, if this is indeed because of the trade war with China, why is there a provision in here for prevent plant acres? Because China, obviously, trade war with China didn't cause uh, the weather uh, this spring. Yeah, well, I was actually uh, walking around USDA and met with the Rob Johansson and Ted McKinney came into his office on uh, Friday, and I said, you know, we're all waiting for the explanation of exactly how these calculations were made, and they smiled. <laughs> and they've told us they're coming, but obviously there's a, a lot of different factors that went into how they came up with these payment rates, and we just don't know all the details yet, although... You know, I know Scott Irwin's been working on it, and so you'll probably, between Bill Northey and Scott Irwin, you'll be able to hear, um, you know, some different folks and what their opinion is on how these were made. Yeah, it'll be interesting, but for sure, uh, these payments, while will not make anyone whole, does not make up for all the losses, it's cert- they certainly will help, won't they? Oh, absolutely, and they come at a very good time. And, uh, you know, I've never heard a farmer say that they're going to be made whole, especially this year when things have been so late and so wet. Um, So this isn't intended to do that, but it can certainly make it a lot easier when you're going to have that discussion with your creditor at the end of the year. Meanwhile, whether or not there will be a second and third round of these payments could uh, hinge on what happens this week in the latest round of talks with China. That's right. Our negotiators, uh, led by USTR's uh, Bob Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, I mean, our team's going back over there. There's a lot of optimism. But even the president tried to dampen expectations a little bit, Mike, when you heard him saying, well, I don't know if we'll get a deal because they may have to wait and see if I get reelected. And certainly the Chinese can play the long game because they're not worried about the 2020 elections. Uh, I'm sure that the president would like to say that he could get this done before the elections and really 
rally not only the rural vote but the markets and manufacturers nationwide who have been suffering from these tariffs. But uh, I, I'm not so optimistic that we're going to see something just as a result of this talk, uh, of this round of negotiations. I do think, however, if it goes well and they continue to talk, then those are always good signs of progress. And there seems to be a lot more optimism and a lot more progress with getting something done with Japan. Well, that's uh, another good sign. USTR's Lighthizer is then jet-setting back to the U.S. where he can meet with the top negotiator from Japan. Now, um, the mood in Washington over getting something done, at least the agricultural provisions, which, as you know, Mike, we had these settled under the Trans-Pacific Partnership and then pulled out of that. So if we could get back to ground zero where we were, that would be good. And if we could get a little bit more access, that would be even better. But the Japanese, in this case, were trying to dampen expectations in their own media, saying it's not going to be an ag-only deal. It's got to be more comprehensive. So, again, good signs that they're talking, but I'm not really optimistic you're going to see any big announcements this week. So the House is on recess. The Senate wraps up this week. Uh, It's going to be interesting. As they all go back home, what will they hear about USMCA and how – urgent will that be when they get back? How high up on their list of things to do when they get back? Well, as we reported in Daybreak today, it uh, is clear that there's going to be a lot of work done on USMCA, even over the recess. And I think for anybody who's concerned about this, as all farmers and ranchers should be, they should take time to talk to their elected representatives about what it means to have open access to the borders with Canada and Mexico. Maybe not the deal everybody wanted, but still an advancement on what we had under NAFTA on the ag provisions in many ways. So um, the Democrats are going to keep talking to USTR over the break. They're starting to say, okay, this is definitely what we want, and ask whether USTR can deliver on that. I know Bill Thompson, our trade reporter, is going to be uh, writing some more about this on what the Democrats really want this week uh, in our newsletter. Uh, And sometimes it seems a little bit like a moving target, but at least they're getting down to some of the basics. And you do see a group of Democrats who are pushing for passage as well. So those are all good signs that probably by the end of the year, cooler heads might prevail for a minute to say that, you know, we do need trade with our two biggest partners. Sarah, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure. Take care. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. All right. Later, we'll get more information on the Market Facilitation Program payments. Sign up beginning today. We'll talk with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey, try to get more uh, information on how they came up with the formula they uh, arrived at uh, for this round and Later, some analysis of that uh, from University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. But up next, weather. Looks like uh, cooler weather for much of the Midwest this week and some much-needed rain in places. We'll talk about that with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll talk weather next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, and let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerino. Mike, that was quite a heat wave that rolled across the country. It was. It, uh, you know, clearly if you're going to get something like this, it's going to happen in midsummer, and uh, it did, and you know, with all that moisture we've seen uh, during the spring, uh, it just brought those humidity levels just through the roof. So pretty tough to take, but fortunately it is now in the past. 
Yeah, what's on the backside now of that heat wave? Have an outstanding week of weather with uh, temperatures at or somewhat below normal and uh, quite a bit of sunshine. Uh, really not much in the way of any rain this week. Uh, should be a, a, a good week for crop growth uh, in the Midwest, and uh, Lord knows they need it. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And let's talk weather with ETM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, I woke up here in central Illinois this morning to the uh, sight and sound of rain, a very pleasant start to the week. How widespread is this rain? Oh, glory be, Mike. <laughs> you, threw, you threw open your window. You drank in the rain. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I did just kind of went out on the deck and just watched it a while. It had been a while since I'd seen any. Yes, it is. Uh, it has been, certainly, in central Illinois, eastern Iowa. Uh, the, the rainfall deficits over the past uh, 40 days, 40 to 45 days, have been uh, quite noteworthy, uh, anywhere from 2 to 3 inches. Now, uh, this, is, uh, th- this uh, round of uh, precip that we're getting is helping the cause, but it's not going to uh, be followed up by additional rainfall, and that's a key feature. It's, uh, it's a little bit of a stopgap here certainly helps things out, but it uh, is not going to just completely end uh, this, uh, this drier uh, pattern. Uh, fortunately, temperatures in much of the Midwest are going to be near to below normal this week uh, before warming up by Thursday and Friday. Uh, so that will mean that uh, the, the rainfall that uh, we are getting today over the Midwest is uh, going to uh, be able to maybe soak into the soil profile a little bit, actually taken up by crops, and and uh, that will be useful. It's not going to completely dry out in about uh, six hours or so, and that's going to be beneficial. I wish that uh, there would be uh, more rainfall in this uh, section of the Corn Belt, though. Uh, however, it uh, really uh, doesn't look like that's going to be the case when we think about the next seven days, and so that is the big question. Yeah, it's not real heavy rain. I mean, it's coming down really nice no. uh, here anyway, soaking right in, but uh, not not big amounts. So, uh, as you say, this might be it for a while, though? That That's the way things are looking. The, the uh, main uh, pattern feature for much of the Midwest is uh, going to be dominated by an upper air trough out of the Canadian prairies that's uh, right now nosing all the way south toward about uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and then uh, starting to work eastward. Uh, This trough is going to uh, stay around for the better part of a week, and 
the result uh, airflow, the resulting airflow is primarily going to be out of the north and northwest. And when we get that, uh, temperatures are fairly mild, but it doesn't mean that uh, we get a whole lot of moisture inflow uh, with the you know with the source region being out of the north instead of out of the south. Uh, with uh, with the Gulf of Mexico uh, moisture inflow not being a part of things in that kind of a pattern. And so that's the reason why we're looking at what's pretty much a, a cool but dry scenario when we think about the overall uh, weather uh, trends over the next seven days. So if we have trends and patterns of airflow out of the north, that may get us kind of even more nervous about an early frost. Is, is there any correlation there at all? Uh, it uh, it it really is not at this point. It still is uh, quite a ways out to to get um, you know to get too uh, concerned about uh, the end of the season. I think the uh, the primary feature is that temperatures are going to be on a seasonal to below normal trend all through about Wednesday or so, and then we're going to see high temperatures get into the low to mid 80s, which will be uh, very mild and uh, obviously seasonal. And a beneficial feature of that is that growing degree day totals are probably going to uh, max out uh, for a given 24-hour period. And uh, in the absence of any real stressful heat, uh, you know, I think that crops will be able to make use of uh, anything they can get on those growing degree day totals. So that's going to be a, uh, a favorable uh, situation as far as crop progress is concerned. But the, you know, the, uh, the idea that, that uh, we're going to be behind, um, you know, the curve on, on development because of how late the season started, I mean, that's with us all the way through the season. Um, I had uh, a chance to uh, get a look at a side-by-side uh, cornfield comparison uh, thanks to a gentleman from uh, central Nebraska uh, back on Friday, and um, we posted this side-by-side uh, comparison on, on a couple of articles and blogs on DTN. And in the same cornfield, at basically the same day, uh, the, the contrast between a year ago, you know, when uh, corn kernels were well into the milk stage, and this year when they are barely uh, at the, you know, at, at the formation stage, uh, is is remarkable, uh, a full month behind, and uh, you know that's very typical of uh, of the crop scenario that we've got going at this point. Yeah, you hear those comments made a lot. I mean, here we are, July 29th, and you can look out and say a lot of people saying, "Well, this looks doesn't for some. This doesn't look too bad if it was June 29th instead of July 29th." Here, a lot of those kind of comparisons. Absolutely, and and you know that's that's not uh, that's not atypical, and it's not it's not uh, a one shot deal at all, and and uh, so I think that uh, that this is something that the trade has in the back of its mind, uh, market wise. Uh, you know, we can see that that uh, charts are just kind of bouncing around in a range and all that sort of thing. But it's hard to get too terribly confident about how, how things are going to finish out uh, with corn and soybeans because of the way things uh, look, and, and indeed they are showing themselves that way. So it's not just a conjecture. Uh, we're actually seeing that in terms of uh, what's going on in the field. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So, Bryce, here we are. Uh, later this week we roll into August, and that's going to be a critical month. And What's the longer-range forecast looking like for August? Well, the month of August is is looking uh, really pretty decent uh, when you when you think about uh, how we would like to have uh, limited heat stress. You know, August can be a pretty hot month. Overall temperatures uh, in the Corn Belt look to be around the average, uh, you know, range for for the season. We could see a uh, a pocket of the northern plains though have uh, below normal temperatures for the month, and so that may slow things down a little bit in uh, the Dakotas, uh, into uh, parts of northern Nebraska, uh, in terms of development. But over the remainder of the Midwest, 
conditions are looking pretty good on the temperature side. Uh, precipitation uh, is is likely to be above normal again over the northern areas, but elsewhere. Uh, near normal, and I, I think that this uh, moisture deficit that we are seeing in the central and eastern Midwest is probably going to be a uh, an ongoing feature for for this uh, coming month, and uh, that's going to I, I think be be a real concern uh, where we get showers that uh, just sort of help to ward off a complete uh, major problem. But are we going to, uh, you know, get rainfall to make up uh, for some of these deficits that we've seen uh, here in midsummer? I don't think we are, Mike, and uh, that's going to uh, kind of stay with us, I think, through the balance of the season. Just getting those rain just enough to kind of get us by, right? Yeah, that's the way things are looking, and and I know that there's subsoil moisture that is, uh, you know, that is uh, certainly well supplied and all that sort of thing. I'm I'm not an agronomist. Uh, and I mean that you know that goes that that's very apparent I'm sure to an agronomist who who hears my comments but um, but I, I think that there's a question as to how how much of that subsoil uh, crops can actually make use of I mean we know that uh, corn and soybeans do not have a taproot system you know where where a a real uh, powerful uh, single uh, root goes all the way into the subsoil and, and makes use of things. So I think that the lack of uh, topsoil moisture uh, is going to come to bear in terms of uh, maybe taking a little bit of the edge off of yields. And I know yields are going to be down considerably relative to trend line because of how late things were at the beginning of the season. And I think there uh, could still be a little bit of a shaving off, uh, a shaving of these uh, yield uh, uh, totals because of uh, this uh, recent precipitation deficit that we have started to get into in some real high production areas. All right, Bryce, thanks a lot. Uh, we'll talk next week, next month. We'll be in August when we talk next time. Thanks for being with us. You're welcome, Mike. Good to talk to you. All right, take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So coming up next, we'll try to get some more details, some more information on the market facilitation program payments. Sign up beginning today. We know that um, it, it certainly seems to be tilted more towards the cotton-producing areas. How did they come up with the, the formula that they finally arrived at? We're going to talk about that with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we've got positive signs in front of the changes to begin the trading week. Talks between the U.S. and China on trade set to resume in Shanghai this week. Grain traders have a cautious outlook on what to expect from this week's talks. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer says President Trump has more tariff tools at his disposal if the discussions go poorly. Meanwhile, the state news agency in China saying several million tons of U.S. soybeans have been shipped to China since the two countries' leaders agreed to resume trade talks in Japan last month. 
That's the word from the country's top economic planner and the Commerce Ministry. Grain traders are looking for Monday's grains export inspections report due at 11 Eastern time to continue to show low amounts of corn, wheat, and soybeans being inspected for export. An hour into the trading day in soybean futures, new crop November up five and a quarter at 9.06. December corn up three and three quarters at 4.28 and a quarter. Chicago wheat, September up nine and three quarters, 5.05 and three quarters. Minneapolis, September at 5.30, up five and a half. Kansas City, September, 4.40 a bushel, up eight. Livestock at the Merck in feeder cattle futures. The August contract is down 62 at 143.10. August live cattle, 62 cents higher at 109.27. Cash cattle trade got started late last week in Texas and Kansas at mostly 112 a dollar higher than last week's weighted averages. In lean hog futures, the August contract down $1.10 at $85.32. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow is up 23, September crude oil up 3 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538. Immediately, that's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Sign up begins today for the market facilitation program payments, and we'll talk about that now with Undersecretary Bill Northey, USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Bill, thank you for being with us. Uh, can you give us a share with us uh, what went into uh, the conversation, the discussion, and finally the decision for this formula, for this round of payments? Yeah, well, everybody remembers that uh, those trade talks broke down back in May when uh, certainly this year especially there was a lot of crap to go in the ground. Uh, so the uh, right away the emphasis was on making sure that we did not provide signals that caused folks to try and project what a payment might be and therefore plant to it. Uh, oversupply, some crops undersupply others, uh, and then cause a lot of folks to uh, to try and guess well before details were out uh, what they should plant. Uh, and so it may have, have uh, been a, a delay from what folks would have liked to be able to have final details, uh, and it took a long time to put pieces together. But to be able to come up with a county payment whereby uh, a producer in that county could plant uh, nearly any crop, a long list of crops, um, and be able to know that that what they planted was not going to impact um, that the payment that they would receive in that county. Uh, so it took a lot of a lot of other work to figure out what that appropriate payment was. So it was looking at the production in that county, how that historical production uh, over several years look at. Um, how that production uh, was being impacted by the trade, um, the trade, uh, both tariff and non-tariff barriers, and coming up with a trade damage per county, uh, being able to divide it by those acres of those qualifying crops in that county, and so you ended up with uh, an actual payment number. Uh, And it was obviously different from county to county, and I'm sure some folks... uh, 
would look across the county line and either are glad they don't have the neighbors or wish they had the neighbors, but there was a, a reason both for the county payment mechanism as well as how we ended up with the final payment that we did in each county. Obviously, when we look at it, it's, it's tilted more this time towards the cotton-producing areas. Why? You know, as uh, the, the um, chief economist looked back over the last 10 years, you looked at uh, lots of different impacts, and, and uh, cotton, soybeans, pork, um, uh, there's sorghum. Others uh, have had some years. Uh, certainly corn had more years of some trade than what was originally recognized in just looking back at 2017. But as you look back over 10 years, you realize that uh, both both tariff damages uh, in the last year, but also other actions, uh, again, China's being the main driver here, but other uh, trade partners are in the conversation as well. Where was that trade happening? Uh, and then how much of, of uh, the value of that crop potentially was lost uh, over the last handful of years because of some of the action uh, that our partners have. So you look both at dollar values of crops uh, and then the percentage of uh, the crop impact. Uh, you ended up with um, certainly some of the crops being impacted more than other crops. And every place you're at, it's a blend of all the crops in that county. So if you had um, a lot of different crops in that county, you had both high value and or high impacted crops and low impacted crops. Uh, but it was a blend to end up with that final uh, rate for each county. We're talking with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Bill, there, the question has been asked, why is there a provision in here? Why is there money for prevent plant acres if this is about trade mitigation? Uh, we do have uh, some uh, small uh, payment for prevent plant acres, recognizing that uh, there certainly was an impact on prices in general, um, and uh, also that in in some cases we have second crops or other kinds of things out there where folks may try and and uh, or theoretically at least could uh, create some harvest. So so we looked at what legally could be done, what the right number is. I'm sure there's uh, both um, disagreements that there should be a payment made as well as others that say that provisions should be different, whether it's a planting date uh, or that the number should be higher. Um, but but uh, we came to a place where, where we could justify a small payment legally um, and uh, be able to have that there for the producers that are hit hard with prevent plant. Of course, there may be some provisions yet going forward, both in crop insurance for for the bulk of the folks. That's the main safety net for Prevent Plant, and then we'll review and and see what will be available um, when we implement the disaster bill as well. How did you come up with your amounts for dairy and pork producers? It was looking at the taking the same formulas that we look at for crops. Uh, being able to look at how the commodity was being impacted and uh, divided by the either the number of pigs out there, the amount of production uh, in the case of pork and and uh, dairy. Um, we were able to, in both of those, uh, also have some of that damage being able to be compensated in purchases. So just as in the first time around, um, dairy and, and pork, uh, so it's some of uh, the losses covered in direct payments and some of them covered in in purchases. That's a product that goes great in, in uh, food banks and other places, but there is a limit to how much you can move that way. Uh, so, so some of it needed to be done in direct payments and some of it uh, could be done in purchases. And hopefully we'll see some folks that don't normally get a chance to be able to buy milk or, or pork, um, uh, develop more of a taste for it and continue to buy it in the future as they've had more access uh, over the last year and will next year. What do producers need to know and keep in mind about signing up? Well, uh, they are able to go into the office. I've not talked to folks uh, today, but I'm sure we have some folks already 
headed into their FSA offices, and and uh, for the most part, most of their information uh, will already be there as they've done their acreage reporting. I know we have some areas where where we had some late planning going on. We still had folks on registers, and so acreage reports might not be finished. But for the most part, that information will be there. So slip into your office, have a conversation, be able to look at uh, that acreage number, um, make sure that you're comfortable, that that's the right number, um, and uh, be able to sign a report. And it should be a fairly straightforward um, not too hard and not too long a process to be able to get signed up for the market facilitation program uh, and how this quick, time around. How quickly will checks start going out? Uh, we're looking at end, uh, middle to end of the month, um, so uh, we're a few weeks away yet from from having all the mechanisms in place to be able to make that happen, but uh, uh, within a few weeks uh, from now, um, by the time we get them through our approval processes and all the mechanics working middle of the end of August, uh, those first checks should be going out. Bill, I know you talked about this, uh, but I want to go back to it. Uh, you were striving to not impact or influence planting decisions, and I'm sure there are some farmers out there that maybe, I mean, the word was out, they, they'd have to plant to get one of these payments, and then it came down to, uh, you know, do we go ahead and plant or do we take our chance with prevent plant or, you know, a disaster payment or whatever? And then they, so they took the chance with this and maybe the, their county rate wasn't as high as they thought it or hoped it would be and now may be caught and think, you know, looking back saying maybe they made the wrong decision. Uh, so I guess there was no way you could totally not influence at, at least some decisions on planting. You know, there was such a challenge this year for, for folks trying to get the planting done. First of all, is the field even dry enough that you can drag a planter across the field? And and uh, that was a determining factor. We've had folks that haven't been able to get in the field to, to plant a cover crop yet and, and have every intention of being able to do that. So, so there were so many factors. Uh, we saw prices change dramatically. Um, while planting was trying to happen. You saw um, corn prices go up because of concern about late planting. You had concern about what's that mean for for the uh, soybean crop as well. Uh, you had the disaster bill that passed um, and and people providing all kinds of projections on, on what prevent plant provisions might be in the disaster bill. So I heard folks saying, hey, because we have these two programs out there, I have to plant. And I heard other folks saying, because we have these two programs out there, I shouldn't plant. Um, for the most part, what we try to do is remind folks the most important thing is uh, is to plant for your agronomic conditions. If you can get a, a crop planted and that works for you economically, uh, then, then you make the decision based on what your projected yields are. The market is going to be way more important to you uh, even if you got 120 bushel of corn, uh, times, times, let's say it's $4 or $3.5 a bushel, that's going to dollar up way more, um, than, than what a payment's going to be. Um, and the fact that you gain or lose 30 bushels an acre in your projection for that yield, again, is going to dwarf, uh, what these payments generally are. Uh, so plant uh, for your agronomic conditions, your market, um, and we'll let the payments take care of themselves. Bill, I know you're really busy. I appreciate you taking some time to be with us. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Coming up next, some analysis of these payments from University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, there was a study released recently comparing organic milk with conventional milk, and the study says and claims that uh, the non-organic milk tested positive for pesticides, illegal antibiotics, and growth hormones. When I get reaction to that from the dairy industry, joining us now is the Senior Vice President, Regulatory Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation, Clay Detlefson. Clay, thank you for joining us. Uh, what do you make of this study? At this point, we don't buy it. We don't believe that the results that have been provided are accurate. They fly in the face of government test results that have been going on for years and years and years, and it's just very unusual that these results could be valid. So we're questioning the methodology and the proficiency of the folks that uh, perform the testing. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we just heard from USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey about the market facilitation program payments, uh, the sign-up beginning today. When I get some analysis uh, looking at the numbers uh, from Scott Irwin, University of Illinois ag economist who joins us now. Scott, as you, as you look at the map, you look at the, uh, the payment rates, uh, what stands out to you? What's, what's the big takeaway for you? Well, I think that uh, what we're seeing is pretty healthy dollar amounts that will make a difference in the bottom line across the, the corn belt. That's, that's the main impression. For example, there were um, you know, uh, some counties in Illinois where the payment rates uh, exceeded $80 per, per acre. That clearly will make a, a substantial difference in the bottom line for a lot of farmers. Uh, were you surprised that it was tilted more this time towards uh, cotton production? Not really. Uh, I view that, Mike, as just uh, um, the age-old competition between um, commodities in the South versus commodities in the Midwest. So we had uh, things you know, pretty well tilted to soybean producers in the Midwest last year uh, for the MFP payment program. And so I think this year there was clearly some pressure to even things out geographically. What do you think of the formula used this time compared to last time? Well, we don't know exactly what the formula is. At least I don't. Um, and so we don't know exactly what the payment rates are. It, it does appear to be from uh, what some other people's work they've done that they've now shared with me that the payment rates probably were as rumored of two dollars for soybeans four cents for corn and 65 cents for wheat uh, so those those do seem like those are the, the probably what's behind the dollar payments that we're seeing the big challenge was, and I'm sure there's there are concerns out there, uh, discrepancies from counties right next to each other. Have you have you been able to look at that uh, very closely and and see uh, how how wide a spread some of those were? Uh, you know, I've seen those. You know, uh, I've already had a few farmers here in Illinois say, "What the heck? Two counties away, the payment's twenty dollars an acre higher. How can that be?" I I think once we get the formula and can really take it apart it's probably going to have to do with the concentration of soybean acres in a given county times uh how good were their soybean yields last year so for example uh the highest payment rate in illinois is for Piatt county and they were in the i believe top three for uh soybean yields in the state last year so we know that there's a correlation between soybean yields, which means if you had really good weather last year, uh, since the uh, payment rates are applied to uh, production data last year, that that will boost your payment some. Were you surprised that prevent plant acres are, are even part of this? Well, actually, I was not surprised that prevent plant acres are part of the program at $15 an acre, but... I really thought that, given the political pressure, that they would go with a full MFP2 payment for prevent plant, and they limited it to $15 an acre. That, that really did surprise me. Some are saying, well, how does a trade war with China, how does that, I mean, did that, that didn't bring about the, the weather conditions that led to prevent plant acres. So some are saying, why were they even covered at all? Right. Well, that's that's one argument that you kind of put prevent plant in a disaster bucket, and then you put planted acres in a trade affected bu uh, bucket. Um, I'm a little skeptical of that argument because the prevent plant acres 
uh, obviously were intended to be planted, but mo- more importantly, if they got a pre- prevent plant payment, that um, that prevent plant payment is based on either 55 or 60 percent of your revenue guarantee, and your revenue guarantee is a function of your uh, APH yields and the reference price that's set in February. And that reference price is directly impacted by uh, the trade uh, dif- difficulties. Uh, so, um, you know, you're having lower prevent plant payments because of the trade war. Now, you know, I think there's a good debate about, okay, uh, since you didn't plant, maybe you didn't incur full production costs, you don't get the full uh, MFP2 payment. We can, we can argue about that, but there's, there's a direct and reasonable economic argument for the PP acre returns being impacted by the trade war as well. And, and I, I find that argument uh, persuasive. Yeah, lots of ways to look at it. Uh, and getting back to what you said earlier, and we'll wrap up with this, uh, and we know farmers lost, have lost a lot during the trade war, and this doesn't make up for everything. But there's no doubt this will help not only the farmers, but that, of course, then also helps the, uh, the rural economy. Absolutely. I mean... <clears throat> You know, I did some back-of-the-envelope calculations, and, you know, a county like Champaign County, Illinois, where I live, will probably see an injection into the rural economy of at least $40 million, and it will be well over a billion dollars for the state as a whole. Um, that will really make a, a clear difference. Yep, the discussions will continue now about... Uh... Um, you know, how they came up with the formula and things like that. But there's no doubt uh, it certainly will help, and the sign-up begins today. Scott, always good to talk with you. Thanks for your perspective. All right. Always a pleasure, Mike. Take care. University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Well, coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk markets. We'll have some new numbers today on crop uh, conditions and progress, things like that. We'll be talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. Uh, we'll talk more about these market facilitation program payments, and we'll continue our preview of not only the Farm Progress Show uh, coming up at the end of August, but also look ahead to Husker Harvest Days coming up in mid-September in Grand Island, Nebraska. So lots to talk about tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, It could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327.